0: People don't understand how complicated appeals are. So a lot of times they think it's kind of like, oh, uh, it's like getting another trial or something like that. But no, it's it's primarily about technical issues. And, um, and there's very strict grounds of appeal. Some used to be more successful, but it is getting more and more difficult. This is a very interesting case because it was successful on a number of grounds that I think are really important.
1: Yeah, it was su- successful on... Um what was a skewed assessment of credibility, which is rarely a successful ground of appeal, Mm -hmm. which included two interesting aspects, which we'll get into, a misapprehension of evidence, and frankly tied up within the the, uh, erroneous assessment of credibility was the reliance upon a myth
0: (laughs) about how a
1: male uh, person accused of raping somebody would react to that accusation. And this is why this was so juicy to me this I, th- I think decision. there were four
0: different successful areas, but uh, well, one kind of split into two different parts but there was also some some issues about judging demeanor um, of the accused how how they thought uh, an accused would react to uh, to hearing the accusation against them um, but also there were some interesting comments about the use of messages which which I think is important because the complainant provided a number of screenshots of messages that were not complete. You could see that there were time gaps and-
1: So l- let's frame this a little bit for everybody so that they understand. So, so it's a case involving a 17 year old accused and a 16 year old complainant. So this um, young man knew this young girl and, and at the time that they had sexual intercourse, this young man happened to be dating the complainant's best friend. And the complainant had called him for a ride to work and went over to the house and they wound up somehow having sexual uh, contact. And she messaged him the next day on Snapchat and then a few months later went to the police and alleged sexual assault and he was charged, went to trial, he was uh, charged with sexual assault and choking, he was acquitted of the choking but found guilty of sexual assault. Then it goes to appeal. And so you were, you were raising a couple of issues, which were very important. And, um, and one thing I should mention is when the accused testified, he uh, addressed the messages, um, but also had said that when he had dropped the complainant off at work, he said the complainant said, essentially, if, 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 if it's discovered, if my friend finds out that we had sex, I'm going to say you raped me. then she went into work Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah and then the messages that were handed over by the complainant clearly were not a complete set of messages or communications between them the next day Um, and they were relied upon by the crown that we see so often to say there's an admission of guilt because of being apologetic and in fact he was disputing in the messages in fact that it was non-consensual and um that in fact she had complained about being sexually assaulted in those messages. So, do you want to start off with one of the interesting grounds of appeal? And I just think this is really kind of up, but it's very interesting. Was his out of court, deme- out of the box demeanor? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, if you want to address first, that,
0: first of all, because we've mentioned this before as well, the screenshots and the messages were were taken by the complainant, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit too, and, and sort of do-it-yourself investigations or whatever. Um, in this case, it was, uh, you know, uh, an app called Snapchat, Snapchat, which can disappear. So, you know, there's kind of a reason that, that the complainant would would have to try and take the screenshots and also use a phone to do it because you can person can see if you take. So I don't know why anybody uses Snapchat, but, <laughs> but <laughs> this is well, just um, young but, people love it. I, I know. Apparently, it's very popular. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, there is an issue where screenshots are are taken by complainants, and and then it's very clear that they're not overlapping. You know, you know, there's things missing from it, and
1: inevitably, I have found that when messages are turned over, um, they're rarely a complete set of all the communications for that that discussion that you had that they had via messaging. Yeah. Rarely, and so it's, it generally provides a very fruitful area of cross. But I, I just want to deal with a few of these grounds of appeal because some of this stuff struck me and it just goes to show still how biases exist against men. Yeah.
0: Well, you men. mentioned out-of-the-box demeanor. So first, That was of all, the first one that we yeah. could talk about. So demeanor is is a bit of an issue in the first place too because, um, you know, it can kind of give you a little bit of a read on somebody, but demeanor, depending on a person's personality and the stress they're under and all this other stuff, is not, not all that reliable. So you shouldn't and, put and all that much weight de- on it. And what type of
1: demeanor are we talking about? So you can talk about the demeanor At the time that a complainant may be talking about the allegation, so if they're disclosing it to police or disclosing it to a loved one uh, or a friend, so their demeanor, if they're whatever, and it could be their testimonial demeanor when they're testifying in court, if they're very shaky or they're very nervous, but it does have a very limited value.
0: Mm-hmm. And in this case, when we say out of the box demeanor, we're talking about he was in, he was in, the accused was not in the witness box.
1: So this was about the accused demeanor,
0: right? So this was about the accused demeanor while they were sitting next to counsel, uh, listening to the evidence that, that was being presented against them. And so the the judge took exception to the the fact that he was not looking at the complainant, and you know he he, he explained later he was like. Well, I was told not to because like there's this whole thing. Sometimes they, they put screens up so that witnesses don't have to look at people. And if, you, and if they were staring at them intently, that would be a whole other thing too. So it was like, but, but making a, a credibility assessment or a judgment on somebody based on their behavior when they're not even
1: in, in the witness stand was absolutely, that was deemed to be incorrect. So the judge had commented, I just think it's important, that during the testimony of the complainant, the accused did not look at her but instead stared off into the corner of the courtroom on the opposite side of the room from where she was seated. I noted that initially and made several um, purposeful efforts to watch this as her evidence continued. Watch the f***ing complainant, okay? That's the person testifying. On each occasion I checked, the pattern was exactly the same. It seemed to be very purposeful. There can, of course, be many reasons why an accused would not make eye contact with a complainant. Duh. But the studious ignoring of the complainant by the accused was something I'd never seen before in close to 40 years being in court on a regular basis. I was It was certainly not a case where the accused wanted to face his accuser. Holy I f***. Know. Can you imagine? That's the line that says it. was certainly not a case where the accused wanted to face his accuser. Every accused. f***ing sex assault case I'm involved with now it is an application by the crown for the complainant to testify. Whether they're 14, 17, 27, 47 to testify by CCTV. Yeah. They That's don't even want to be in the same across room. Across the board now, I'm I'm getting met with applications. They're going to testify by closed circuit TV from another room in the courthouse. So I get to cross examine a Samsung screen.
0: Yeah. Or they ask or for. Or Sony. A, or they ask for a screen so they can't see the accused. Or, or if it's a cheap or, court in RCA screen. Or in one of our cases, they asked the accused to move over so she didn't have
1: to look at him. So, you know. Yeah. No, but just think about this for a second, okay? I am not assailing this judge that much, but if you think about this when I when we'd mentioned in another podcast about how I am concerned about stereotypes that still exist and are just like out there about men. He's actually saying, I've never seen before in close to 40 years being in a court on a regular basis. It was certainly not a case where the accused wanted to face his accuser. You know what? F- they want to face their accuser, but they're not allowed to. That, that's the truth. It's CCTV or a screen, but most of the time now CCTV. So the complainant who would be too fearful, too traumatized to face the accused. So you don't get a chance to face your accuser. That's like a principle that's just like gone. You know, it's not really a good, good demonstrative. Ex- Express yourself, Joe. No, but it's gone. And I'm finding this very frustrating. I just did a pre-trial where the judge asked me, why are you opposed to a, like to CCTV? I go, well, she's 29. They were in a relationship. Doesn't complain at all about the way he treated her. In fact, says that he was nice. On this particular night did something she didn't like and she's complaining of sexual assault. So why the f- is she testifying by CCTV? And the judge is looking at me like I'm from Mars. Yeah. But there's this kind of connected uh, other ground of appeal that was successful. Okay, so let's just say on on appeal, the Court of Appeal correctly said that out of the box demeanor is pretty much worthless. But the very connected thing is, is there
0: was an assessment of what an accused person would would likely do if they were confronted
1: with the allegation. So that's another element. Yeah. So there's like a a lot of pieces. But just this is good law because people sometimes ask us about certain things. So. When you're not testifying, demeanor while you're in the courtroom is really not something a court can rely on, unless something insane happens. It has very limited to no value, and the court of appeal found that the judge, contrary to his own written reasons, really did rely heavily on this out of court, uh, out of the box testimony. Let's go to the second point you raised, which is really important. So, <laughs> this was a good one. So, the the accused had testified that just prior to dropping her off, she had said that um, if somebody finds out or if S, her, her friend, finds out about this, I'm gonna say that you raped me. And the judge found it um, extremely odd, I'm just trying to find the actual language, extremely odd as to how the accused explained his reaction. And his reaction was essentially, I, I didn't know what to say, I was totally stunned.
0: Mm-hmm. And, why, why and what did I, the judge right? say about that? Um, well, they just found it implausible. They figured, uh, you know, a person who was innocent would have reacted with, you know, more emotion or, uh, you know, would would have reacted in a way that was more assertive in terms of their innocence. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just like, this is not something you expect somebody to say to you.
1: <laughs> no, um, the judge specifically said, I have some difficulty with his description of what happened at the complainant's work. As the complainant was getting out of his vehicle, he says she made threats to him to say rape in the event that anyone found out that they'd had sex that afternoon. He said uh, he made no real attempt to stop and talk to her. She was, um, she of course was afraid or a friend of his, um, sorry, I'm not reading this bad. His grammar's awful here. That she was, of course, a friend of his, um, but he made no effort later that evening or indeed the next morning to try and chat with her about this. He didn't even make any effort to stop her or talk to her or find out why she would say such a thing. That's the judge's finding as to how an accused male should react to an allegation of rape,
0: and it's not grounded in evidence about the particular accused person it's just grounded in expectations of what
1: a certain you know person in a situation would do. excellent point. can you just explain that to everybody when you mean grounded in his evidence? yeah so
0: you can have evidence about somebody's character that comes out through you know messages or things like that. you can kind of and, and that's one of the points like you go into a courtroom the trier of fact be it a judge or jury they, they don't know either one of you right. so you try and you, you try and explain who these people are so that people can make these assessments about is this something this person would do not is this something a real victim would do or or an innocent accused person would do it always has to be
1: grounded in evidence about that individual right so if there was evidence that prior to that that he was rather argumentative with her and assertive about certain things. One might suspect that he would be argumentative about that at the time. But the Court of Appeal found, I am satisfied that the trial judge utilized an assumption, not grounded in the evidence, like you've said, about how a person would respond when falsely accused of sexual assault. He held the appellant's behavior up against the assumption of an innocent accused would confront a complainant in such circumstances and it clearly informed his credibility assessment. In doing so, the trial judge erred in law. I would allow the appeal on this basis. Very important point, because we've spoken about before stereotypes that still live and have breath in our trials. One of which would be how a falsely accused innocent male would respond to an accusation of rape. And that can include messaging.
0: Yeah, they're so alive to you know stereotypes about complainants Particularly female complainants, but um, like you, we're just starting to see more attention paid to uh, you know stereotypes about how men would would respond, and so I, I'm kind of encouraged by seeing some of the yeah. uh, decisions coming out. This is an excellent decision. Yeah. Court of Appeal did an excellent job here. Yeah, but you know, there's another ground of appeal that I I think is really important to talk about um, because so many people um, go into appeals thinking that this is going to be a great ground credibility assessments right it was like oh the judge um, made the wrong credibility assessment that is almost always a losing ground of appeal in this case it was successful only because it was combined with two different factors
1: well frankly four yeah yeah. Total, is really? a few yeah.
0: but misapprehension of evidence so the judge you know discussed or, or, or cited evidence and, and got that evidence wrong as to what was actually said in the in in the trial and then also um, it's important that the judge grapple with major inconsistencies and they don't have to deal with every inconsistency that's raised by the by the defense but if there's a major inconsistency in the evidence they have to talk about how they resolved that issue and so so those two factors and as you said there's a few other things that were going on that made that a su- successful ground of appeal, but but the reality is, if, you know, I, I go through every day. I look at all the decisions coming out and stuff, and it, you know, most of the, most of the appeals are just saying, "Oh, the judge got the credibility wrong." If that's just it, if that's they are saying, you want the court of appeal to reassess the evidence and substitute their own credibility assessment?
1: You'll never win. That's because there's generally there's there's deference to the judge who hears the case because they're there assessing it. So there's great deference given to the trial judge. In this case, there's cumulative factors where the judge had over relied impermissibly on aspects of evidence, one of which was the out-of-box demeanor. The second one was this stereotype of how an innocent male accused would respond to to, uh, an allegation of rape. And as you mentioned, the messages were important here because when Diana was mentioning about significant or material inconsistencies, the Court Court of Appeal found that the trial judge did not address why the complainant was initially so reluctant to admit messages were missing from Exhibit 1, which was the compilation of messages she provided. When it was clear from the evidence, including her own, that there were gaps where messages were exchanged yet not included in the photographs given to the police, given the issues in contention, he should have considered why the complainant adamantly denied the possibility that during um, her testimony, she may have wrongly and thus reluctantly failed to admit obvious um, missing evidence upon which impacted upon her credibility. So this is really important. So the the court of appeal found that when cross examination was appropriately directed at how the messages were unfolding, because there were gaps in time. And if this was a continuous discussion back and forth, obviously there would be a continuous back and forth in the messages. Mm-hmm. And the complainant had taken photographs, and the, the accused lawyer had said, well, you selected what you wanted. So in cross-examination, it was very clear that there were messages missing. The complainant could have simply... Let me get it. The complainant could have simply just said, you're right. I was not able to capture all of the messages. Right, right. Hang on,
0: I'm just... (laughs) I can't even pick things up on my own.
1: It's all right. Stop kickboxing. Or was it MMA?
0: No, 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 I'm going to... I'm going to do it right next time.
1: Okay. So so this was a great case where the Court of Appeal, on the third area, looking at these very significant inconsistencies, specifically dealing with in this one area... Of the messages and the missing messages and the reluctance of the complainant to admit the obvious, that was a serious factor that the trial judge did not adequately address, and the court of appeal found that this was also a fatal error.
0: Now, can I can I just point out something that I know I know we've definitely talked about before, but I mean, it is just so relevant. The complainant can take partial messages, give them to the police, talk about this. Yeah, yeah. No permission needed. They can be, you know, completely skewed, but if the accused person wants to to put into evidence the missing messages they have to go through a whole pre-trial motion they have to get permission and the complainant can try and stop the missing messages from being entered into evidence i mean it It wouldn't happen not might successful for them to try and block it but but the reality is is you know they they can you know compile all these things and, and put them together in whatever way they want but an accused person no they just assumed that they're going to be engaging in some, some sort of myth or, or you know, improper argument. And it, it just, it, it's just so infuriating to me.
1: So Yeah, so this is an excellent point, And this is a great example. So there are several messages here. So it's not just a few, but several over the course of a discussion the next day. Clearly, there's messages missing. So let's take the hypothetical. We have a client in that situation our client's able to recover the entirety of the messaging. So let's say there's 15 segments of the messages missing. We absolutely have no choice but to bring an application under Section 278 of the criminal code, disclose the messages, prepare a notice of application, a factum, an affidavit, file it with the court, and argue. And it's not just an affidavit. uh,
0: Primarily, the accused person has to put some of their their testimony into
1: an affidavit inevitably when you're doing that affidavit although the case law says it doesn't have to be that detailed and putting out all your defense you're absolutely you know objected to time and after time that you never put in enough detail to understand the relevance of the messages right so we just we just say we're putting in all the evidence here's our defense it's all out there and it's never hurt us but you're right that's what the accused has to do to try and get those messages in. Primarily, in order to show the relevance. <coughs> it's, I'm choking on my own words.
0: The, uh, the, the reason that this is all deemed constitutional is because they say, well, the accused doesn't really have to, you, you could just have anybody, you could have a law clerk file an affidavit
1: saying, oh, I've seen the messages, oh, they're real. You imagine, Never. Can you imagine if we did Never. one of these last 20 applications and filed an, uh, uh, our clerk's affidavit? I can only imagine what the argument from a complainant's lawyer would be. Oh, is it? We were
0: we mentioned on another podcast earlier that that one of the uh, the partners here was asked if, if they
1: would uh, file their cross examination questions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Oh, it's a good one. This is a good one. There was an application that still has to be heard. So Yuvika has this, and in the response from the complainant's lawyer was that the fucking accused counsel should file the cross-examination to be vetted by the court
0: yeah and the complainant so that they'd know all the questions they were going to be asked and vetted for myth-based
1: questions oh this is serious I mean of course it's it's not. I know I know I, I do I hear laughter like it's it's not a joke somebody actually wrote that somebody with a law degree decided to reply to the application and they have a brain right? They function, they can breathe and they can talk and they eat and they go shopping and balance a bank account. And they actually said, you should file the f-ing cross-examination yeah, so that we can vet it.
0: You shouldn't be able to ask a question unless we know what your question is going to be first. It's, it's an insanity. I mean, but That's that's the problem is that, you know, you give an inch and they'll take a mile, right? There's like, you know, there, there's a real kind of reach problem that some of it got addressed by the Supreme Court, putting limitations the ability for a complainant's counsel to cross-examine—they can't cross-examine uh, an accused on their affidavit during the, the, the hearings. Of course, they—you know—anybody can hire a lawyer whenever they want, but they, they don't have standing at the trial. You know, so there are some limitations that have been put on. But it's—you know—but there's a lot of things that are still left in the gray. Zone, and to be fair, today we
1: had a lawyer for a complainant who's reviewed our application, who's excellent, and has uh, is conceding. The majority of our, our application mm-hmm. and made a very fair point about one area, and now we're just negotiating. And so, and we've had other complainants, lawyers who are very good. So, I mean, there there are very good lawyers who act for complainants. Well, but, it's been a little but,
0: bit better since the decision, but
1: prior to that decision, I mean, it was there was a split lot of insanity all coming, the way across, and there was a lot Canada of insanity coming them. out in those arguments. But even till today, you get some of these rogue, you know, uh, arguments that I just think have no business. There was one recently, I, I forgot what it was, but I, I literally. We literally wrote in the reply that this court should absolutely pay no attention to this submission by by counsel. It's absurd. But let's go back to this. So this was interesting as well, because this is just goes to show how you have to be very careful in spelling out evidence when you're relying on it. So we painfully in judge alone cases write written submissions. And the reason we do that is to avoid misapprehension of evidence and misapprehension of how to apply the evidence. And in this case, the judge misapprehended why the date that the complainant went to report to police was relevant.
0: That's a big problem. That was a big problem. Because normally... Not just in this, but in a number of cases. Delayed
1: disclosure in and of itself is not relevant. Okay? So if it could take a week or two weeks or... I have a problem if it's 20 years later. You know, Let's be clear. I have some problems with that. But... But we know from the case law that delay of a couple of months in reporting is not relevant. But he completely got wrong how it was relevant and how it was related to motive to fabricate. That was the issue. And it was clear that he'd mixed up the dates and unfortunately completely missed the submission of the trial counsel as to why it was relevant.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. So. It's so important because the the list of stereotypes and myths about complainants keeps growing, and you know just because um, just because something could be a myth doesn't mean it always is, right? So was, we we had one case where we're saying oh scorned woman myth, right? Well, I'm sorry, in that case, it was a scorned moment. <laughs> this is, you know, sometimes it's not a myth, but you have to ground it in the evidence. And, and it's so important to make it clear to judges so that they don't uh, misunderstand what, what argument you're making.
1: Yeah, I mean, in this case, it was, it was so interesting. So the, the, the trial counsel argued, and ultimately on appeal, they argued again that the, the submission was that the complainant went to police. It was triggered by the um, sex with the accused becoming public knowledge. That he and the complainant engaged in sex and she needed in advance a story of non-consensual sex to protect her reputation right and of course there are those who will argue that that's just a myth but that's a motive to fabricate and the judge rationalized the complainant's late report to the police because she did not want to lose her relationship with her friend however nowhere in the evidence did the complainant say she was fearful of her friend finding out about the sexual encounter and in fact had found out uh, and wasn't worried about it so the trial judge's dismissal of the challenge to the complainant's credibility relied upon a misapprehension of her evidence and frankly the argument um, by the accused and actually and, and had missed the dates this was you know a fourth very significant issue all about the assessment of credibility
0: and, and that said, it is not uh, up to an accused to explain why somebody would lie, just to be clear. So, you know, motive can be a big part of the defense, you know, showing that this all took place for a certain reason, but it absolutely not um, up to an accused to explain uh, why somebody would lie. And okay. can I just say I mean, one more that's thing, really important.
1: Which, I, which I thought was really a very astute comment by the Court of Appeal, because it's the cumulative effect of a number of errors and already... Um, acceptance of credibility issues as to how it skews the ultimate decision. Mm. So the courts noted, by the time the trial judge turned his mind to the use and the interpretation of the Snapchat messages, because the judge also used it in a way that it showed guilt, um, he had already found the complainant was, quote, a very credible witness and moreover, he'd accepted her evidence that she did not purposely omit any messages, nor had she been selective in the messages provided to police. The trial judge had already concluded the complainant's first words in the exchange were "Why didn't you listen to me?" When well, now is not in any of the messages. Further, the trial judge had already found the appell- that's I'm hearing that right. That's not in my head. Right. That's that's my phone. Oh, okay. Found the appellant's credibility to have been. Is that my son calling you? Because I always get I always get. I know my it's, son usually,
0: it's usually it's usually you.
1: Found the appellant's credibility to have been negatively impacted by his out of the box behavior. So let's just first of all very meticulous very well reasoned court of appeal decision very good and i just think this is an important point where you can see a cascading problem with the assessment of credibility one builds on the other as i use this expression the knock-on effect the the knock-on effect is i believe her and i disbelieve him because of his demeanor out of the box i i i have a great difficulty accepting how he responded to her immediate accusation of sexual assault. So by the time he's going to interpret what do these messages actually mean, mm-hmm. his whole view, or her whole view, if we're talking hypothetically about a case, is completely skewed. So, again, I guess my advice to other counsel would be, you know, it's very, imp- I, I just think it's, imp- we almost can never do a judge-alone trial without doing written submissions. We, we would not, like, sleep at night if we didn't do it because there are so many chances through innocent human error, innocent human error, yeah. that, that a judge or anybody could miss a piece of evidence mm-hmm. or misunderstand it simply because of the dynamics yeah, of a case, yeah. you know? You know what I, I gotta say about this particular appeal, though, one of the things I really like and, and I find
0: disappointing in, in a number of decisions is that um, sometimes you, you'll get a decision where they grant the appeal on a certain ground and they say we don't need to deal with the other grounds of appeal. I really like yes. that they went through them all. I thought I think that's very valuable, not just for this particular case, but for other cases as well, just to to deal with all of the things
1: that uh, that could potentially be useful to, to other cases. So. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point because the, a number of these, they could have just said, this is enough for us to deal with yeah. the appeal. We and already granted on this. Trial. We're not but, even going to rule on the rest of it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And they went through it, and it's incredibly instructive. Yeah. So this was, re- it was a good find. It's going to be in our newsletter, which will come out probably by the end of June, early July. But, you know, I think this is a very helpful case in addressing issues. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding I'm finding that there is starting to be an equilibrium now in dealing with these sexual assault cases. We're, we're getting there, eh? Yeah, I know. Well, good one. Thank you for this.
0: Have a good if night. If you like
1: the podcast, please like, share, subscribe. Hit notifications. Send us messages.
0: And leave comments. Thank you.
1: Have a good night.